Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Condensed Histories, the podcast that takes pop culture and reveals the real history underneath. I'm your host, Jem Daduchu, and this time round we're doing Lego, which means we're going to be going back to the very beginnings of civilization, eventually after we do all the cool Lego stuff. So, obviously, humanity has always been interested in building things and that's kind of where we're going with this particular episode but the story of lego itself is in some strange ways the story of the 20th century as well so there's lots going on in this particular episode and i get to talk about something that is widely considered the greatest toy ever created and i don't have to explain what lego is lego is here hey kids look a whole new world to build. Because Lego is here. Unless you've been living under a rock or you had the worst childhood ever, you know what Lego is. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you through the actual history of the company and how that's affected the development of this toy and some other elements of the 20th century as well. Oh, I think you can just tell I'm going to have fun with this one. So, the idea of wooden building blocks goes back centuries as basic toys for children, giving the small infants, toddlers, a little bit of hand-eye coordination, holding onto a wooden block, you know, being able to reach out, grab it, hold it, manipulate it, move it around. That goes back centuries. Now, Toys themselves were not something that kids were given in the Middle Ages or things like that. That was a more industrial moment. But basically, once you get toys being given to children, wooden blocks are an easy thing to do. And stacking them on top of each other a bit later on into the 19th century, they might even have the basic alphabet there. So you could start teaching children either numbers or letters. If you are one of these people going, well, wooden toys are best, do you know who's going to agree with you? The founder of Lego. Back in the 19th century, we have the birth in Denmark of Ole Kirk Christensen, and he was a carpenter, obviously not at birth. But once we get into the very early 20th century, 
he is now a grown man and he's a carpenter he does lots of different bits of bits and bobs if you like and eventually in 1932 so you know he's he's now a bit older and indeed he sort of supervised lego into the 1950s when he eventually passes away but this is sort of actually later on in life with him so he has a whole career of being a carpenter handyman woodworkman etc before he actually starts setting up a company using wooden play if you like you know he knows how to manipulate the wood he's going to do wooden toys which is exactly what everybody did in the 1930s so he sets it up in 1932 and creates wooden toys not necessarily blocks but one of the first things he creates was a wooden duck now what i love about this is when there was a recent anniversary i can't remember exactly what it was it might have been 80 years gems guessing I, I can't swear to it but lego did a bunch of bespoke lego products and one of them was a lego version of that wooden duck which i think's just a beautiful respectful thing talking back to the heritage of the organization that's in 32 however in 1934 he comes up with the name of the company which is legot which is two words and that means play well in danish and if you sort of like chunk the two words together you get lego so if you like lego is an abbreviation of play well in danish there you go that's how we get the name then there's this little thing called world war Two, which sort of puts everything kind of on hold it is an interesting fact denmark in 1940 didn't have much of an army it stood no chance against the wehrmacht but rather than put up any resistance and needlessly kill their few soldiers that they had which like i said were never going to stop the third reich they basically just allowed the germans to come in and the whole of denmark was captured in the space of eight hours which i don't know i have mixed feelings about that on the one hand it's logical on the other hand and and on the same hand i should say by 1940 we hadn't seen all the war crimes of germany they weren't out in the open yet and so it was just another invading army and denmark and germany had fought various different conflicts in the past and actually the germans behaved pretty well in denmark however obviously knowing what the german army was going to do next there's a little part of me thinking couldn't they put up more resistance and what's interesting is there's a whole story about it you know denmark had a tiny jewish population and basically the danes once they realized that these people were under threat there was a whole network and the vast majority of danish jews were sent to sweden which was neutral and the nazis never had any influence over sweden so that's a happy story but denmark a thousand years ago happily rampaging around the whole of europe with their viking warriors stop being warriors by 1940 indeed i'm going to just put this out there that the nicest people i have met in the whole of europe just behind the poles the poles just oh my goodness they tried to almost kill me with kindness and food and things like that but the danes boy did they go full bore with the 
have as many Danish pastries as you can possibly eat, Jem. And oh, by the way, here's our bacon coming next. Both those countries, actually, it's not fair to sort of separate them. Both those countries couldn't have been nicer to me in terms of just passing the borders, the people I met, just lovely, lovely people. But for Denmark, there's a part of me thinking, you're overcompensating for the fact that a thousand years ago, you raped and pillaged your way across the whole of Europe. It's all like, sorry about that. Have a Danish twirl. Okay, I, I'll I'll eat the delicious pastry. Thank you very much. And I won't I won't mention the Vikings. So because of that, funnily enough, there wasn't a lot of activity in the company of Lego during that time. And that that's all I'm going to sort of say on that. So in 1947, we're now after the war, and we are starting to see innovations around molded plastics. So to quote from the graduate, I've got one word, just one word for you plastics just one word yes sir are you listening yes are you plastics so we move into plastic toys the thing is ole kirk christensen the founder he was very much about quality and he felt that the quality was with the wooden toys this is where i said you know, if if you're a modern parent and you like the wooden toys, it's more organic, etc., you've got good company there. However, by 1949, they patent the automatic binding brick in Denmark. Now, it is worth pointing out they did not invent the automatic binding brick, which is the bricks that we associate with Lego. The, the basic ones, like the 4x2s, the 3x2s, the two by twos, you know, the little square ones, you know, the very basic bricks rather than any of the fancy modern designs. But this was basically ripped off by a British company called Kitty Craft in 1939. They launched it just before World War II. It obviously didn't have a chance to catch on. Things like plastics and petroleum products were absolutely needed for the war effort. No need making toys then. So Kitty Craft technically were the inventors of Lego, but they didn't call it Lego. It didn't really catch on, and it was the company Lego that sort of supercharged it as an idea. Then in 1954, we've got Gottfred. He's the son of Ole, and by now Ole's getting on a bit. He talks to some Americans, and clearly, the money, the direction of the company is going towards plastic toys. Ole by now is quite old, and just the, the wooden toy element isn't selling as well. It's fading away. Kids' toys by the 50s, you know, think about things like G.I. Joe, Action Man, Barbie, these sorts of things. You know, these are made out of plastic, not out of wood. And that's just what the modern child wanted to have. So by 1958, basically by now, Lego, the bricks, have taken over the company. They were still producing plastic toys in the 1950s, you know, just generic plastic toys. But now it's clear that the bricks are going in that direction. By 1969, they bring out the very young version of Lego called Duplo. This is basically going back to those basic wooden blocks for toddlers to do simple hand-eye coordination and manipulation of objects, only now big, chunky bricks to sort of put together and make basically a little duck again. That's the classic Duplo thing. 
The American Museum of Natural History has over a million artifacts in its collection, but it doesn't have a three-wheeled Brontosaurus, Duplo preschool toys from Lego. Imagine that! And then in 1978, and I remember this, you come out with the first minifigures, which is just now the icon of Lego. You know what I mean about the minifigures, and they got the two little feet that neatly fit into the studs on any Lego brick. It is a genius design. I remember the previous attempt. Basically, they were much bigger. They had these huge ball heads, and you basically had to build their bodies out of various bricks, and it was ugly and they weren't to the same scale as anything else and so the minifigures really revolutionized it and i remember one christmas getting the lunar set which was one of the first sets with minifigures and also it had it was it had scenery it had this like little crater on the corner and the rest of it was covered in the studs so you could put in the lunar base and i remember building that with my dad and it was just the simply coolest toy i had at that time from the farthest reaches of imagination comes a Lego space set with all kinds of pieces to build all kinds of spacecraft. And I was of that generation where it's just sort of like, Lego's amazing. You know, you, you, I would watch the Star Wars movies, Empire Strikes Back, something like that, and I would then go home and try and build something out of Lego. And that's the beautiful thing about Lego. You can build it up and break it down, and is basically indestructible it is a design classic something like the volkswagen beetle for example or a dyson vacuum cleaner there are just some things that are just beautifully well designed function and form together and indeed there have been all kinds of engineers sort of showing you how well designed lego is like the amount of tonnage to crush to fail a lego brick is ridiculous you can literally put a car on a lego brick and it won't crush whereas you know you, you need serious tonnage to actually break one of those things amazing of course the downside of that again if you've been a parent with children with lego is the exquisite pain of walking across a lego piece in bare feet ow owie ow ow it's almost like a trap a la home alone this is what's going on with Lego, but the interesting thing is by the late 1990s, Lego isn't doing very well because of all the reasons I've just told you. Because the parents of the late 1990s were the kids of the 70s and 80s, and they quite often had a big tub, let's say, of Lego up in the loft in the attic somewhere. And so lego doesn't degrade it's made out of plastic and like i say it's incredibly durable and so for little six-year-olds you know wandering around in the late 1990s it's like have the tub of lego that i had when i was six and you're gonna have as much fun as i did and again parents and kids sitting down building it together it, it was a glorious time the problem with lego in that situation is everyone's loving it nobody's buying it there was also this element of no grey Lego because they didn't want to have like drab and certainly one of the things that Ole and Gottfried didn't want is Lego being turned into things like World War II tanks and airplanes so they deliberately stayed away from military kits which is why they did astronauts rather than bombers which you know back in the 70s would have sold but they wanted to stay away from violence very worthy and worthwhile now that changed over time not in the sense that you can buy 
a Lego tank. For the record, once we're into the 21st century, interestingly, just like Lego was inspired by, I'm going to use that term by Kitty Craft Bricks, the reality is by the late 90s into the 2000s, there were lots of cheap knockoffs of Lego. There were various court cases. Lego tried to defend their patents and patents, I should say, and the reality is some of these things just weren't really defendable. So the basic bricks could be reproduced by everybody else, which further incentivized Lego to come up with rather bespoke bricks that they could have more of a patent on. And it led to lots and lots of versions of Lego. And so you can literally buy a tank or something like Halo, for example, which is very militaristic, even if it's sci-fi. And... It's not made by Lego, but it actually works with Lego. But what you always find with this stuff is it's just not as durable. It's not as well made. Going back to Ole and his desire for quality, as plastic kits go, they are high quality. Ole would probably approve if he saw what the competition were kicking out there. And so, as I said... By the late 90s, we got cheap knockoffs being poured out. We got different companies coming up with different types of kits that might be cooler for the kids. And Lego was expensive, particularly when you could buy a gigantic pile of these, you know, like I say, the basic bricks for almost nothing. It just didn't have Lego written on it. And this is the other thing worth remembering. Every Lego brick has the Lego brand printed on it. That is billions of bricks, if not trillions of bricks out there. And that's just, that's just amazing. So what happened is there was a bit of genius. There were people who pushed back on this, but I say no, because I would not want to see Lego fading away. But what Lego did is they started talking to George Lucas and Star Wars, and they started creating absolute perfect bespoke Lego kits of various Star Wars vehicles basically with little little mini figures as well of Darth Vader and Luke etc. I too the rebels need your help build us more ships Lego and Star Wars join forces for the first time so you can build authentic Lego X-wings and Y-wings and what that meant was and this is why it got some criticism it's like I want to create an X-wing okay but the thing is once you built the X-wing you shouldn't really break it down again because you've now got this perfect little replica of an X-Wing. Indeed, the largest Lego kit, not kit, the largest Lego build ever built was a one-to-one scale X-Wing fighter. So, you know, the Star Wars element pretty much from the late 1990s onwards, there has been this beautiful synergy between those two brands. Well done, everybody involved in that. I've built a bunch of them. My kids built a bunch of them. Of course, when their kids start breaking the pieces, they get bored and eventually gets turned into lots of little bits. There have been some controversial ones. The Mandalorian got some Lego kits. Of course it did. It's another bit of Star Wars. But the Mandalorian, if you may remember, in Series 1 had this really cool spaceship. And so there was a Lego kit of it, which came out just in time for Season 2 to blow it up. So it's like, oh, well, we'll never see that thing in the universe again. That's disappointing. But but then again, Lego didn't know that that was going to happen. So Star Wars saved Lego, but then Lego got everybody sort of hyped for new bits of Star Wars stuff as well. And Star Wars and George Lucas were making a fortune. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash acast. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Out of the royalties of these things. And it turned into some very specialist kits. I mentioned the one-in-one. That was never for sale. But there are literally for sale for like a thousand pounds or hundreds of pounds. Well, the, the famous one is for hundreds of pounds. I think it's about 500 pounds nowadays is the Lego Death Star, which is this huge ball, which, you know, you'd, you'd have difficulty hugging. It was a huge kit. It would take weeks to build, basically, but it was an amazing sort of basically toy set. A doll's house for Lego based on Star Wars doesn't get cooler than that, but, like, there's a massive Millennium Falcon for about a thousand pounds. And again, you know, it's going to take you weeks to build it, but then it is a thing of exquisite beauty and ingenuity as well, putting all those bricks together. So Lego is now, today, in the 21st century, the biggest toy company in the world. Indeed, it's ended up buying the Merlin Group, which is the second largest theme park company in the world, second only to Disney. Which does mean things are a little bit awkward, because sometimes Lego's doing stuff... I mean, they literally have Legoland, but can they do Lego Star Wars in Legoland? Because that's owned by Disney. So on the one hand, Disney's got deals with Lego to make Lego Star Wars, but on the other hand, Disney doesn't want Star Wars in a Lego theme park because they want everybody to go to Disneyland and go to their Star Wars stuff. So I'm sure... I, I'm I'm not sitting in the boardroom meetings, but I guarantee there's a whole bunch of lawyers arguing over that consistently because everybody wants money, but nobody wants to give away power. And yeah, that's, I'm sure, a whole thing. 
I go no further than that in case I get myself accidentally into trouble, okay? But then, of course, in the 2010s, we get the Lego movie. And there was huge concern over that. I mean, back in the 1980s, there are all these daytime TV cartoon shows. And people are sort of, you know, it's like, well, it's just flogging the, the products, isn't it? You know, it could be He-Man, could be Thundercats, etc. You know, it's, oh, you're just trying to sell the thing. It's just uh, basically a 30-minute long advertisement for the toys. And now with Lego, oh, it's going to be an hour and a half long advert for Lego. And it was... It just happened to be absolutely brilliant. And everybody thought it was, I mean, yeah, I mean, you can't stop seeing Lego products there. And there were loads of spin-off kits from the movie. But it was first and foremost funny, entertaining, enjoyable. And it led to various spin-offs, which rapidly reduced in terms of, of, well, not necessarily quality. Lego Batman movie was excellent. The second Lego movie was also excellent, but the Ninjago one was a complete misfire. But basically by then, too many had come out too quickly in succession, and they, they never sort of like recaptured the magic. But certainly, Lego movie, Lego movie 2, and particularly the ba- Lego Batman movie are just really good kids animated movies i just want to go to arkham and pay for all my crimes blink 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 blinkity blink 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 are you actually saying blink no so you know basically lego in the 21st century can kind of do no wrong in my eyes they are making lots of money but also creating quality stuff for people could be toys could be content there are loads of Lego TV shows. My kids, I find this amazing. When they were little kids, they watched Lego Ninjago on TV. They're now teenagers. This is their first bit of nostalgia, if you like. They are going back and watching from the very beginning all the way through Lego Ninjago again because they got such fond memories of it because, again, it was entertaining and it was well made. And yes, it's trying to say the latest Ninjago kits, but you know, this is a sign of it not just being a cheap cash grab, which so many of these things can be. So I think I've sold you that Lego is a modern phenomenon. It's been going now for nearly a hundred years. I guess watch out in about a decade for the hundredth anniversary of the founding of Lego. Maybe they'll do it a little bit earlier because of, you know, that's when the company started. But like I say, a couple of years before it was actually called Lego. We'll see. And the Christensen family, by the way, are still very heavily involved in it. Oh, and one last thing I will say about it. The whole idea of Legoland is because they were getting so many people going to the Lego factory in Denmark and sort of getting in the way of production. It was a factory. That was where they made the stuff that they ended up coming up with this idea of why don't we create like a park to sort of show off some crazy designs or some really big things that we would never possibly sell. But, you know, let's let's showcase what we do. And that's how the Legoland parks started. Right, okay. I said all of this is to do with building, and I find it fascinating that we have three really, really ancient civilizations that have huge amounts of effort into construction going on. Now, the one I'm going to basically do in about a sentence is ancient Egypt. You'll know about that, but the reason why you know about that is because they didn't tend to build in mud brick when it came to their their big temples and, of course, the three great pyramids. They were built out of you know, huge blocks of stone, so they are, even today, 4,000 years later, 
really big and impressive, basically. I've been to the pyramids and they are just sort of incomprehensible because, yeah, I've seen stuff technically bigger, but knowing they're that old, knowing it had nothing to do with hydraulic cranes and things like that, forklift trucks, etc., you stare at them and think, how did they build those things? Okay, that's done, all right? But the ones that are just as old but not necessarily as well-known. It's basically the further east we go, the less well-known they are. Egypt, that's a huge brand, if you like, in the world of history. Then we come to modern-day Iraq, and we get the Sumerian and Babylonian and Mesopotamian civilizations. It's kind of the same area, depends which time frame we're talking about. And we get the ziggurats, you know, perhaps the great ziggurat of Ur, is if you've heard of that one, that'll be the best known one. Okay. And the thing about it is, it is made out of millions upon millions of mud bricks. This is a huge structure, even again by today's modern stance. Maybe not as big as the Great Pyramid of Giza, but it's still bigger than anything else on planet Earth. And it was indeed created roughly about the same time as the the Great Pyramids. So, you know, we are again talking about 4,000 years old, only rather than hefting huge blocks of stone, which is obviously an amazing engineering achievement, we've got a similar amazing engineering achievement as they have to mass-produce again by the millions all these mud bricks, which then have to be structurally sound enough to be able to be built up on top of each other without crushing the bricks. See, just like Lego. So, you know, if you like, the structural integrity of each brick has to hold to make the whole structure not collapse in on itself in terms of weight. You see, you see how the Lego is directly connected to stuff that's happening 4,000 years ago? And the ziggurats are actually obliquely referenced in the Bible. You've probably all heard of the story of the Tower of Babel where basically the idea is that the humans were building these towers up to the heavens and God didn't want that to happen and so basically descended on the peoples building it and gave them all different languages so they couldn't communicate with each other on this great technological engineering achievement and so they dispersed and that is how we get all the different languages of the world. It's a beautiful myth which isn't true but where did they get the idea of this tower? And it does seem, again, with something like this, it can only be guesswork. It can only be interpretation of sources and looking at the archaeology of the time. But this was written down basically about the same time as you have some of the lost tribes of Israel. We know that they ended up in modern-day Iraq. They would have seen these towering ziggurats. And if you like to the modern eye, the ziggurats kind of taper up and then stop. They're, they're sort of like rhomboids, almost like a cake, although sort of like, I like to say, tapering in a bit. So, so they've got massive flat platforms on the top, and it, to the modern eye, it looks like, oh, that should keep going. So maybe that's what they were thinking about, let's say, 3,000 years ago. It inspired the story of the Tower of Babel. So you've got the Bible, you've got these ancient civilizations, you've got these archaeological sites that are still there today. You can go right now, if you wanted to, to Iraq and see the great ziggurat of Ur. By the way, Ur was one of the oldest cities in the world, and the land around it was called Uruk, 
which is where we get the name Iraq from. So, again, fast-forwarding four and a half thousand years, there is this ancient word that is still preserved in the name of a country right now. This is why I love history. It kind of blows your mind when you start looking at these stuff and these connections. So, with that in mind, that is sort of like ancient Samaria. And to give you an idea, the ziggurats was, like I say, built round about 2000 BC, so 4,000 years ago. But what's interesting is it had fallen into ruin by about 600 BC. Now, that's still 1,400 years. And to put that into context, literally every single cathedral, Christian cathedral in Britain, has not been standing for 1,400 years. So, you know, maybe in 200 years' time, they become ruins. We'll see. You know, only time will tell. But people get sniffy about these ancient religions that don't exist anymore. But when you sometimes look at how long they lasted, it's like, well, Christianity hasn't lasted that long yet. So do these other religions fade away that exist in the world today? I then wanted to finish off, as I said, so we started in North Africa with Egypt. Then we're now into the Middle East with the sort of like Sumerians and Uruks and all this kind of stuff. But now let's go to the one you're probably least likely to have heard of, which is what's called, interestingly, two different things. It's the Indus Valley Civilization or the Harappan Civilization. And this is in modern day. So it goes across three different countries, modern day, Afghanistan, Pakistan and India. Now, you might well not have heard of this one, but it is absolutely as ancient as those other two civilizations. They were building stuff for four and a half thousand years ago, give or take. And what's interesting is the reason why it's called the Harappan civilization sometimes is because the first major site discovered in the 1860s was in Harappa, modern day Harappa. And it's in British Imperial India. And, you know, I got to mention, I guess, some some British archaeologists, you know, you've got Alexander Cunningham, if you like, he was the first person to sort of like really realise that they, they, they're they onto something here. When Harappa was first discovered, the initial thoughts by the archaeologists was, you know, this is obviously a major civilization. They knew that Alexander the Great had been through the area. There'd be no evidence of this civilization until they uncovered it in Harappa. And so the first thoughts, which weren't a bad idea, was that maybe this was something founded by Alexander the Great, which would have put it in the 3rd century BC. They got that wrong, though, by basically 2,000 years, and it has nothing to do with Alexander whatsoever. So Cunningham was, if you like, the first British imperial archaeological overseer of the site, but let's bring an Indian in who also was working in it in the late 1800s. He sort of comes in a bit later, and that's Rakhal Banerjee. He was a pivotal Indian person interpreting these sites, and what's interesting is, again, like the civilization in the Middle East, there wasn't a load of stone blocks everywhere. This was another mud brick civilization. And to give you an idea, Harappa, the, the town, at its peak was basically, well, nobody's quite sure, obviously, we don't have the census or anything, and this is prehistoric, this is before writing down of history in the area, but between 30 and 60,000 people live there. That today is, okay, a sizable town. It's obviously nothing like a city or anything like that, but it's worth remembering that this city was founded at the very end of the Neolithic. 
so using stone tools, and then went on into the Bronze Age, or Copper Age, then Bronze Age. There was a brief period where copper on its own was used, and then they realised by mixing in tin, you would get bronze, which was far more durable, works far better than just pure copper. So it's it's actually transferring, and, and it's an, it's, if you like, an example of was the Stone Age fundamentally different to the Bronze Age, well, just because there's this one technology doesn't mean everybody fought incredibly differently or anything like that. And the fact that these sites were being used for centuries upon centuries shows you it's the same society. It's just improving its technology. It moves along. You know, just briefly look at London from, let's say, 1900 to the year 2000. 1900, you didn't have electrical lights everywhere in the streets. 1900, you didn't have telephones everywhere. 1900, you didn't have the internet. Whereas by the year 2000, all those things had come in, but Londoners were still fundamentally Londoners and grumbled about the weather all the time. And so you do get this wonderful snapshot of Harappa. You've also got Mohenjo-Daro, now, that's a very large site again in Pakistan. Unfortunately, because of modern borders being what they are, this sort of spreads out into all these different areas. Most of the civilization is in the Indus region. Now, ironically, most of the Indus... So the Indus River has obviously a huge floodplain, which would have been rich agricultural land, perfect place for people to build cities and towns, which is obviously what these people did. We don't know what they called themselves. Again, this is before writing was in the region. But what's interesting is most of the Indus Valley you would think is in India. It's named after the Indus, but actually most of it's in Pakistan. There's a whole story around that. But anyway, this civilization liked to use seals. So obviously before writing, a great thing to do would be to have a seal. This is a little cylindrical tube which has scratched into it some art, which then if you rolled it over a piece of wet clay or a bit of wax, you'd then get a little image. And basically that seal means it's mine. And we've got sort of certain artistic choices there. So you know, the same kind of animals, for example, are shown again and again. Now, we don't know exactly what any of this stuff means, but clearly this was a highly complex civilization, which may indeed have possibly had some trade connections. You know, if, they, if they'd sent some traders, you know, Afghanistan isn't a million miles away from Iraq. So if they were in Afghanistan, maybe they headed west and managed to link up with the sort of Mesopotamian civilizations and vice versa. It's a bit far for Egypt, but again, it's worth pointing out that Tutankhamun's famous death mask, that has got these bright blue bits in, in amongst the gold. That's lapis lazuli, and that comes from Afghanistan. So maybe that's an indication of trading between the two civilizations. Like I say, maybe it's certainly not definite in this situation. But to give you an idea, this Indus Valley civilization, I am flipping between the two names because I want to give you both options here, but it's, I mean, it's incredibly old. It actually beats the other ones by a little way, a little way. The sort of the proto-Indus civilization, the first evidence of it is from an eye-watering 3300 BC, roughly. So that is more than 5,000 years ago. And the civilization itself lasted until about 1300 BC. So it lasted for 2000 years. That's again longer than somewhere like England has existed. 
that's an incredibly long time. And basically, other civilizations seem to have popped up. Again, theories about exactly what the collapse was. There are lots of them out there. Don't have time to go into all of them. But the important point to remember here is, you know, we've got this incredibly complex civilization that wasn't necessarily getting as much love as these other ones because it was all kind of underground and it was mud brick. It isn't as impactful as something like the pyramids, but it's absolutely as complex as the society of ancient Egypt. And that's why I love history and archaeology. And on that point, I'm going to say thank you very much. Another episode coming soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.